1: Right. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Mark Bosco. We're at Alexander Winery in Dundee. It's uh, May 6, 2021.
2: Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Uh, first question, biggest question. Why wine? Sure. Um, you know, as someone who didn't grow up in a, a winemaking family or, or near a wine region, I didn't really know about wine, especially as a profession until after college, you know, mid early to mid-20s. So I would say, in short, it'll you know, right place at the right time, you know, looking back. Um, you know, it's funny because I've been out here in Oregon doing, trying to do the wine thing for about 15 years and at least half of it um, I've been in tasting rooms on the floor, you know, engaging with people and it's a question that comes up a lot, you know, you got people from different parts of the country and they come out to wine country and I've always been really enthusiastic about, you know, talking about wine and, and talking with people. And, you know, that was always a question that they'd ask, you know, they'd say, oh my God, this looks amazing. You know, how did you do this? Like I, you know, can I move and, you know, quit my job and do it? Um, so my short answer always was, cause I didn't have, you know, a platform like this to really get into it, was, um, you know, something along the lines of, you know, I grew up on the East Coast. Um, after college, um, I moved up to Boston where my roommate um, at the time was um, good friends with uh, a gentleman by the name of Jesse Lang. So Lang Winery, just literally up the road from where we're sitting here and um you know jesse would come out to boston and work the market and he instead of staying at hotels he'd he'd crash with us and he over a course of a couple visits um, we kind of hit it off he'd always bring wines and it was right around the time when i was starting to really explore wine you know i was working at a restaurant um taking kind of they've had some wine trainings and really just i didn't have the wine bug yet but i definitely realized there was something more to it than i ever imagined Mm -hmm. so he was my opportunity to ask a lot of questions you know someone who literally was from a winemaking family and um, you know from a wine region and um, he was bringing these gorgeous wines from oregon that i don't remember really having a lot of experience with and i just remember um, being really blown away just by the, the profile of those wines i hadn't really tasted anything quite like that so he would always humor me and answer questions and we hung out and i mean i think we I think we caught a Super Bowl together. I think we um, had like, Easter together, you know, and there's just a lot of wine being shared. And, um, you know, he said, you know, if you ever want to come out to Oregon, you know, we're always looking for help for harvest. Um, so in 2005, I took him up on it, came out for what was supposed to be three months. You know, I had a job, you know, I think it was like the end of August. I flew out, I was supposed to be home for Thanksgiving and um, just fell in love with the area. Um, they ended up giving me an opportunity to, to stick around which at the time I didn't realize how unique of an opportunity that was. Um, and uh, I, I think I ended up having to call my parents and saying, um, you know, I unfortunately won't be home for Thanksgiving. I think it was probably the first Thanksgiving I ever missed. Um, but I'll be back for Christmas and while I'm home, I'm gonna pack up all my stuff and I'm moving out to Oregon. Um, so, so yeah, just again, just, you know, getting introduced, you know, just through a, a mutual friend um, and then, you know, really it wasn't until that experience that I realized that, you know, coming out here, um, that this ex- that this existed, you know, I have to, it's, I'm like embarrassed to say, as long as I've been out here now, how little I, I knew. I mean, I didn't understand anything about grape growing. Uh, I don't remember any of the colleges I looked at having viticulture or not, like I don't remember seeing those words, mm-hmm. you know? So um, fell in love with the landscape, fell in love with the people, um, And I think it was, you know, honestly, that's probably the people that really sold me on it the most coming out here. Um, Being able to get introduced to people through Jesse, um, a lot of transplants like myself, I realized, man, this is like an area that's really attractive, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and having that shared um, love of wine was something that um, just stuck with me. So as much as I loved Oregon Pinot and it was, that's kind of what, um, I gravitated towards, it was probably the the, communi- the community aspect of the Oregon wine country that I just made me feel right at home. Um, and after living in Boston, too, I would tell people this at the time. I was like, man, I lived in Boston for like two years. I'm from the Northeast. Um, my family's all in the Boston area. I mean, I felt more at home here in the first two, three months than I did, you know, trying to navigate, you know, a post-college career in, in that city, mm-hmm. um, which was what I was, you know, just looking for, you know, a sign of what mm-hmm. to do, you know, in life as you do when you're, you know, 24.
1: What was your, what was your plan after college? What did you go to college for and where and,
2: and what was the idea after yeah. college? Yeah. Um, so, I went to college at the University of Rhode Island and the program I got accepted to was um, textile textiles marketing. and um, like. Um, I would like to think most people, you know, when you're 18 years old trying to figure out what to do. um, You know, I didn't want to apply for just a general, you know, admission. I kind of wanted to have at least some focus going in. And that was a major that they had. It was only university kind of that I applied to that had kind of like a, it was business, I knew business would be important. But there was this element of apparel and textiles that I thought was really, really attractive. So it was kind of a major that was in both departments. It was in the textile department as well as the business department. Mm -hmm. So I started off in that program early on taking business classes as well as um, some, you know, low level textile classes. And then midway through I realized I really actually loved the apparel side of it. So I kind of changed my focus 100% into that and I graduated with a degree in uh, textile, fashion merchandising and design, which was you know for me I think in college I learned a lot about what keeps me engaged you know I think young like I didn't know how I what made me excited to learn Mm -hmm. and I think being able to be hands-on that was a a program that was very hands-on was just kept me you know got me out of school in four years you know which isn't always the case with people Um, and my plan was um, I think my junior year I got an internship it was a, a small Uh, apparel manufacturer outside of Boston uh, outdoor apparel and um, so I had I would work for them on Fridays I think I was getting credits you know as an internship Um, so I would you know take classes Monday through Thursday on Friday I'd you know wake up in the morning take an hour probably or so commute up out of Rhode Island north into Massachusetts um, work with their team, which was a really great experience, and I thought, you know, at the time I was lining myself up for basically a job right out of school, which was um, ended up being partially, partially what happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, that experience was what, what really helped me through it too, because I was, you know, I was learning, you know, in the books and doing some hands-on stuff in the program, but I was also being able to help. So the company I worked for, it was owned, uh, small family-owned um, company called Keeney and they it was a husband and wife, so the husband did all the financial sides. The, the wife was um, the designer, and she was just looking for someone to try to help her out a little bit, um, which just, just was luck of the draw, I think, um, looking back. So I really loved being so close to, you know, it wasn't a big company, so to be able to help through that process, so some of the things I remember really enjoying doing, and I think spending most of my time would be helping with samples. So, you know, she'd create these designs and um, it was a lot of fleece, like fleece jackets, fleece pants. Um, And she would have a pattern maker who'd work part-time who would come in, so they'd cut patterns. They had a seamstress who worked part-time, so I would take the patterns, I'd go down to like the cut room and I'd cut out all the fabric, um, bring it back up, they'd get sewed together, you know, they'd try it on for fit, make adjustments. You kind of go through that process. And then once um, those kind of pieces were dialed in, take the finished pieces and then start working together to mail them out to the reps, you know, across the country. So I was kind of just, you know, aiding in these little ways to save her time and um, at the same time being able to really understand those parts of the process, which I was learning about but I would have never had the opportunity mm-hmm. to really do. Um, so yeah, leaving college, I they had offered me a job, so I moved to Boston with the intention of just kind of working there. Um, it, I think the timing probably wasn't, I wasn't ready for, the, like a real job, I think, at 23, unfortunately. I moved to the wrong side of Boston. Um, I Had a good friend, of mine, like one of my childhood friends was moving, he had graduated too, so we moved up to Boston together, and I moved to the north side of Boston, which was a horrible mistake, so my commute was like through downtown. I mean, it, it could, I don't remember how long, but I haven't been in traffic like that in a really long time, <laughs> and I, was, I felt like I was never to work on time, like it never mattered how early I woke up, um, and I was also 23 years old trying to like live in a city, you know, so I wasn't probably going to bed as early as I, sh- I should have. Um, so it unfortunately didn't work out, but um, in retrospect, it's what set me up into kind of the wine because I had to basically um, kind of pivot and find work, you know, so I was working at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my friend who I just referred to, he was, had just gotten a job at this new restaurant It was kind of focused on wine. and. I hadn't worked really in a restaurant before, so I was like, all right, I mean, I'll do anything. Like, I'll, I, I literally got hired to be a busser. I was like, I just need to pay the rent, you know, I'll figure it out. Um, and that ended up being the job that introduced me to, to Jesse and got me, got me into wine. So w- at the time, I thought it was really a, like a band-aid, you know, I didn't really think I was going <laughs> to stick around. Um, I also had started working part-time um, at a retail store too, um, an outdoor retailer just like REI called EMS. So I was working you know, multiple, day, multiple times a day, seven days a week just trying to you know, piece it all together. But I was working on the floor in retail, which has really translated well to wine too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's um, helped me out a lot just from, I, I've, um, just thinking of you know, when you're an educated um, salesperson, you know that was their big thing is you know people are gonna come here they're gonna want to buy um, you know boots for the winter a warm jacket you know gloves and there's you know there'd be a lot of training you know so when you're on the floor you could talk you know intelligently and hopefully you're also the type of person who's buying this product and using it yourself mm-hmm. um, which is very much like what we do in the, in the wine world <laughs> you know you want people who are enthusiastic about your product so um, I was kind of balancing those two um, around the time I moved I moved out here
1: mm-hmm.
2: interesting so tell me
1: about you obviously you mentioned Jesse as kind have of your, your initial like here's the guy I can ask all the questions to. yeah tell me about as you as you started to pursue wine further tell me about the education process both kind of um, the, the, the the wine itself the tasting and, and, of, and learning about it beyond that
2: yeah I mean um, before I moved out here it was minimal. Um, you know, there was someone on the the restaurant team who was doing some some classes. I don't even remember how frequent they were, but I mean, I, I remember um, really the the first wine I remember tasting being like, oh my god, I I, I get it. Would have been um, a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc where he threw the the cat piss you know analogy, where you know you when you're just getting into wine and people are throwing out all these descriptors, you're like, what is this guy talking about? And sure enough, I was like, oh my god, like like that's real you know Um, so that was kind of like the extent of my knowledge before i moved out here was just like okay there's different regions in the world there's there's more varietals than i can keep track of um i like oregon pinot that's come out here so when i did come out here i felt like i was green um and i think that might have been why um, jesse liked me too as someone who just worked harvest like i was a hard worker um and i didn't have any bad habits you know (laughs) like i was just ready ready to go um and early on all my time was spent in the winery and um, ultimately the vineyard so i was getting kind of a uh, i don't know if it's a backwards education in sales but it was production first Um, something i i wish i could say i intentionally mapped out uh, but worked really well in my favor was You know, post-harvest, my, you know, working Monday through Friday, I was basically a production assistant. It was wherever they needed me, so sometimes it was working for the the cellar master in the winery. Uh, Sometimes it was in the vineyard. Um, The vineyard piece is probably my fondest memories, just being outside, um, helping, um, you know, prune, you know, tie down. I was there from, I think it it was only about 10 months probably, you know, it was August is when I started for harvest, and then I ended up uh, moving on the following May probably, so I got to see some blending. Um, in the winery, we bottled some whites that mm-hmm. spring. Um, so I really was starting to kind of understand the process, mm-hmm. um, and I also started to pick up some hours on the weekends at Domaine Druin. So that's when kind of some of that retail experience and restaurant experience really paid off, as I was working um, Monday through Friday at the winery in the vineyard, and then on the weekends I would work at DDL in the tasting room and. Uh, it was a it was just such a great compliment. You know, you're I think of myself as a bit of an introvert um, But when you're working by yourself in the vineyard in the winery it's actually, it actually was really nice to like talk to people, you know and go. Oh my god I'm actually learning stuff and I enjoy, you know articulating it to, to consumers who are just curious mm-hmm. uh, so That was kind of how my education started. I still didn't know a lot um, Globally about you know wine, you know mm-hmm. beyond Oregon and I still I still think in the grand scheme of things, my knowledge base is, is really regional here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also where I live and work, so it's worked out, it's worked out pretty well. Tell me about the, the first
1: harvest and, and what what attracted you to the work and what made you want to keep doing it.
2: That's a good question. Um, I think I was I think a big part of it was I was looking for something, you know. Mm-hmm. It was I really I really wanted to find purpose in just what I was doing in, in life in general so coming out here I mean I had really no expectations I don't I don't know of anyone in my circle of families I grew up with or friends I had that ever talked about Oregon or, or Portland you know it was if it was the West Coast it was the Seattle or it was like the Bay Area maybe even LA um, so I came out with zero expectations I mean I really almost didn't know what it was gonna look like so I think coming out to this new area, and after I've lived here, I mean, it's there's nothing, there's really nothing like it visually. Um, again, the community piece. So I kind of knew there was opportunity, mm-hmm. and then I think I enjoyed the work. I've I've always been like a team sport person. Mm-hmm. I've never really done. I've tried individual sports, but I was I always had more fun, and I was always more successful when there's kind of more of a team element to it. And I think. That was really um, cultivated at Lang too. That you know when I can't remember how many of them we were, but you know, call it you know, less less somewhere between five and ten of us. You know, working together, mm-hmm. like waking up early, working really really hard at the end of the day. You know, kind of giving each other a high five, and then going I'll See you in a couple hours. <laughs> you know, there's just something I, that I've really enjoyed mm-hmm. about putting in the work and being part of a team. And I wasn't even close to being a decision maker. But I felt like I was contributing, mm-hmm. so that was exciting, and then also just knowing that I was learning, um, I wish I could go back and remember if at the time I realized how long I would thought I'd still be out here, you know because it's far from you know it's across the country um, being away from family is the only thing I wish I could change about mm-hmm. where I live. Mm-hmm. but um, there was just something special that clicked um, it's it's hard to explain, but I think it was also it was it was not even just about the work or the wine. It was, you know, it's just about the people and the place. And um, I really sensed the the growth and the opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm definitely by no means a pioneer out here, but coming in when I did, and whenever I'd learn about the growth over the last, you know, 40 years at the time, or or, I don't know how many years it would have been, but it was like, wow, we're really in a crazy growth phase and there's all these people buying land and there's, I could make a career in this, you know, I could start from scratch, mm-hmm. you know, I could kind of take, I could be like a busser and I could work my way up, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a lot of time and opportunity. So I th- that was really um, attractive, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm curious about, you had an interesting, interesting. you talked about your interesting kind of combination of working working in the vineyard, working in the winery, but also working in a tasting room at a different facility at the same time. So I'm curious, in that, in that you had some retail background, obviously you had some of that, but did you, were you intimidated at all trying to talk about wine to, to people who, when you were still kind of learning it yourself or what, what was the process like for you getting comfortable in that role?
2: Yeah. I, I can't remember, I can't remember exactly, but I mean, I don't remember, um, you know, walking in to my first day at, at Domaine Druin and being like, I'm going to knock us out of the park. You know what I mean? Like, I got this, like, this is easy. But I do remember feeling really comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so, and I started as a teaching room associate Mm -hmm. you know part-time and through the few months of doing that is what ultimately gave me the opportunity to to be promoted to a room manager so i think there was some confidence you know i felt really good about what i was doing um and maybe all those those experiences i had in the past were kind of um you know in the background without without realizing Mm -hmm. it but i really just enjoyed meeting people um and still to this day i mean it's really nice when people are coming to you, you know what I mean? They're like coming to your house. Um, so you're in a lot, you're in control a lot more than you would be, you know, in other sales positions where you're, you know, you're cold calling people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I've never done a job like that before. I've always been really fortunate to be in positions where I've sold really products that, I, that are really great. I mean, I'm biased of course, but like when I look back at the places I've worked, I'm like, I have never really had to sell bad wine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more, how do I just compliment that whole experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of one of the things I try to always remember kind of as I go. It's, I'm one of a few variables in someone's experience that makes them enjoy the wine. Um, so if people want to geek out in a little production, I know enough to be dangerous. Not that I'm really qualified to be making wine, but I, I enjoy and I have a ton of respect for that side. And I'm not afraid to ask questions too when, when conversations veer in an area. Um, that's, you know, maybe a little bit out of my expertise. but um, I also just love how I'm in a, a profession where it's all right not to know all the answers. Mm-hmm. You know? Like it it's makes it a lot easier for me, and I don't think I was someone who liked really asking a lot of questions growing up. I wish maybe as a kid I was better to just being like, I don't know that. Um, but now I've, I've, in wine, I was like, there's no, there's no bad question, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I think that was really helpful. So at this point, you've had a little
1: bit of kind of a lot of the different wine experiences. Had a little bit of viticulture, a little bit of enology, a little bit of of, of, the, of the sales side. What were you thinking at that point? As you were going, was this something that you were thinking long term, and why did you choose the side you chose versus staying in production or viticulture?
2: Yeah, um, you know, through just even those ten months of working in production, I realized. I had, fortunately, I had the foresight to look at the people around me and go, all right, how did the people around me get to where they are? I'm horrible in sciences. Um, I even had to take, I remember really the last class I took was chemistry in college. I had to take it for my textile science class, and it was so hard for me. I don't know, there's just something about like needing to study something that's like tangible, (laughs) like I can see. Um, It just goes right over my head. and I was like, if I have to go back to school for this to become a winemaker, I'm just out. You know, I'm I'm out. So I, um, so I knew that wasn't really a long-term mm-hmm. thing. Um, and you know, there's aspects of making wine that are really really hard. It's not an, you know, an easy job necessarily either. And as much as I like getting my hands dirty, I realized just from those early experiences in the tasting room, I was like, this is, this is kind of more my speed. Um, I was doing elements of this work already and I really enjoyed it, you know. I guess I didn't realize it all was tying back to kind of like hospitality where I just like making people happy, you know. And um, so it just felt so much more natural. Uh, so kind of with that same process, I was like, well, let's look at the people around me who I'm meeting who are in kind of more of the sales profession. And I really tried to, I think once I really started to get going at Dimitri and I realized Let's try to like figure out this wine industry and like wh- where are the paths and like what what can you do and can you can you like really grow up and like work at a winery you know like how old do I get before I'm like I've capped it out you know I'm like I want to you know have a family right like can I do this and uh, that was a really good good practice because it's hard to 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 kind of carve your your way out especially with so many small mm-hmm. family-owned businesses I mean there's there's a lot of ceilings you know I mean you. There's so many brands out here I adore, um, but I also know there isn't a place for me, you know, professionally long-term, you know? So I tried to think of like, okay, how do I build my own education within the wine industry knowing I'm not gonna go back to school for it? Um, and DDO was such a great, good, great first opportunity. I mean, to work for that brand in, in, in general is, is amazing. And they invested a lot in our, our education I was there for five, five or six months, and they sent myself and uh, the cellar master at the time to Burgundy. You know, I mean, at the time I could have never afforded that trip, or have afforded to take the time off to take that trip and to, you know, to to work for a company that's like actively doing that for you was um, was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I guess for me, it, it just seemed like there were a lot of. A lot of good things happening at the further I went in, into that direction, I thought i don 't know where I'll end up in sales. Um, you know I really like business. I really like the idea of managing people, so I thought maybe you know I could carve out you know something um, on the direct to consumer side, but I also hadn't experienced the wholesale side yet, which I was interested in um, cautiously interested in learning about is kind of how I 'll say that um, so you know I was at DDO for a couple years and I felt like you know there's that certain point where you're like all right I feel like I've gotten a lot out I'm still getting stuff but like I want to I want more, I, I need to learn more you know and I'm still I mean relatively young so I started to kind of think about other opportunities and I was able to uh, take a position at a new restaurant that was opening up in Dundee called Farm to Fork um, so it was like the Inn at Red Hills it was part of a hotel a wine bar a restaurant unfortunately it's no longer there I mean elements of it are physically there. Um, But for me, it was like, all right, well, this is my chance to learn about distribution, you know, from a buyer perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I had experience in restaurants, so I was qualified. Um, I had never bought wine before. So that was um, a bit of a reach, but exciting. And that turned out to be just a perfect opportunity for me to learn about wholesale. Um, You know, the three tier system without you know, being a sales rep, carrying a bag every day and, you know, knocking on doors. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my thought process there is I, I didn't know really where that would take me or how long I would, I would get to do it for, mm-hmm. but I knew that there was a lot I could still learn and take from it. So that was kind of a thought process on, on leaving something that was very comfortable um, to maybe something a little new. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. You're,
1: you're, you're challenging yourself in a couple of different ways, or tell me about learning to buy wine. Tell me about like, learning the wholesale side from that side, and, and what, kind of what your biggest takeaways were from that time. Yeah,
2: um, you know, I got hired on before they opened, um, so there was a lot happening. I remember you know, walking through the, the restaurant and there were you know, still cabinets being installed, and um, it was the first time I'd ever been part of something that early on. So that was like exciting and, and probably a little scary at the same time. Um, I was fortunate to have some really good people to lean on. So I worked for most closely probably with Paul DeLancelotti. So he and his wife Kendall Bergstrom opened it up. Just amazing people. Um, and Paul was really excited about the, the opportunity. And he, he and I you know met a lot. Um, and especially as we were meeting with producers and tasting wines. He always wanted to be part of the process, which was really comforting for me as someone who hadn't really been in those conversations before, let alone leading those conversations. Um, And also, um, Paul Bichon, who's the chef, um, he, I had never met him before, so it was the first we'd ever met or worked together, and he's just a wealth of knowledge, especially when it came to international wines, which, again, all I really knew was was Oregon. Um, Fortunately, the restaurant wanted to be kind of a Pacific Northwest Oregon-centric because that was kind of my wheelhouse. I just needed to meet people, you mm-hmm. know, and taste the wines and, and start to put together a list of things that, that seemed, you know, compelling at different price points and styles, and it, it was a fun process. I had to learn a lot as I go. Um, met a lot of amazing people, you know. I, I think a lot of the early decisions I made and jobs I made, I, I came in them a little blind, mm-hmm. which was probably a, a good thing because I never really psyched myself out because I honestly didn't really know what was going to happen, you know? So, um, yeah, I just really tried at first to focus on what, what's local, mm-hmm. um, make sure I represent you know, the Willamette Valley in particular well, um, you know, try to do a mix of some of those iconic producers, but also really support some of the younger ones. Um, so I met a lot of great people early on who are still just making awesome wines um, today. And then um, as I kind of got that under control, started to lean a little bit probably more on Paul to go, all right, help me understand you know, international wine. So I think I bought um, a copy of Karen McNeil's Wine Bible and I would like you know, at night read through this thing and go, all right, this is, you know, this is the next region. So I'd ask the reps, hey, you know, can you bring in, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna buy it. You know, I tried to be as honest as I could because I didn't want to like be disingenuous mm-hmm. through any of these processes. But I was just like, listen, I don't know if I'm gonna buy this thing or if it's gonna be fit for the shop, but I need to learn more. Um, you've got wines in your bag pretty regularly like can we work together so I really just tried to cherry-pick different regions you know through Spain and France and Italy where I was just at least had a general understanding and then depending kind of stylistically or how they resonated or kind of the food program with Paul we'd we'd implement a little bit of it mm-hmm. um, if I could go back in time I would probably have done those wines a little a little better service uh, but that's okay you know it's part of the part of the process
1: mm-hmm. At this point you you've had a quite a bit of uh, kind of on the floor experience i'm curious if you were developing like a hospitality philosophy or what what hospitality meant to you and and, and how you tried to go about sort of implementing
2: that in, in the places you were working yeah i mean at domain drew and it was um i think i tried to i was able to kind of get in that was really the first job i had where i was um, helping with hiring and um you know meeting a lot of different personalities and trying to figure out what are the backgrounds that translate the best to that line of work, right? Um, I think I learned pretty quickly that you really need people who are passionate about wine. I mean, first and foremost, you really have to be excited about it. Um, It kind of reminds me again of kind of that experience I had working retail, um, you know, selling outdoor apparel. It's like the people they hired were people who went outdoors. You know, when they weren't working, they were hiking, you know, You need that authentic. It's not a sale. It's not. Doesn't feel like a sale when you're just authentically excited about something. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I think that's always stuck with me. Whether I, I don't know how long it took me to to realize that. Um, It became a little bit more challenging on the restaurant side of things because it wasn't nearly as um, glamorous of a job as working in a tasting room. It was a lot harder to hire for, even if even though part of it was a wine bar. I mean, it was, you know, a server. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were some challenges. I was would interview a lot of people and most of them would go work at the winery, you know? Like I'd, I'd lose out on a tasting room job, you know? Which I I couldn't d- disagree with. It just depends on what you, you wanna do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I had to probably take a step back on the restaurant side of things and go, all right, I also need people who are just interested in working, you know? But fortunately, had some amazing people come through too. Um, so, you know, people who were working in wine, coming out for harvest, who didn't want to leave, which I could completely sympathize with. It's like, it's hard to find work after harvest sometimes, and people wanted to stay in Oregon. Um, so they'd come and work in the wine bar. Uh, people who were just moving out here from different parts of the country, they just wanted to get their foot in the door, and then they wanted to move out to Oregon. I mean, mm-hmm. again, comp- very similar to kind of what I did. Um, And there are a lot of them are people who are still out here, you know, working in wine, which is really, really cool. I never really thought of myself as anyone's boss necessarily as we were a team just working together and um, people kind of stayed as long as it made sense for. And then you kind of had to hire, um, you know, kind of fill their their role. When I started to get back into the tasting rooms again is kind of when I was able to go back to just really dialing in and being maybe a little bit more specific on. Just need people who are just excited about wine, you know, and, and not just any wine, but like the what you're doing in that particular winery as well.
1: And the other side of that, I'm I'm curious about the, the consumers of the time and what what their kind of level of knowledge was and what they were what the demands were on you in terms of what were they asking about the wine and, and, and what were what was sort of your
2: what was your how did you feel your role was when you were serving people with these wines? Yeah, I mean at at a, at DDO I was also giving tours uh, pretty regularly. It's such a beautiful property and the building is very much um, kind of a bit of a landmark. And it was I believe the first real gravity flow winery in Oregon. And mm-hmm. you know people would seek that out and want to tour it. So I I remember really at first being nervous giving those, and then after a while kind of getting the hang of it um, and feeling really good about it. And feeling like I was around people who kind of knew as much as I did, but I also knew a couple secrets that they didn't. So I was almost set up perfectly and after you do a few tours too, you kind of know the questions that are coming. So I was rarely ever, you know, caught off guard. Um, Unfortunately, I don't remember um, having to interact. Maybe I'm just good at forgetting bad experiences, but I don't remember that many people making me feel like I didn't know anything. Like even if they knew more than I, I don't remember. You know, someone hanging that over me. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe that's just because I ch- always just tried to be honest about kind of what I, what I knew and what I didn't know. I wasn't afraid to ask for help. Um, so, so yeah, that was. Um, I can't even remember where the question led off there. Um, the, just consumers, kind of what they, oh, what yeah. they, what they were asking. Oh yeah. So of you. Um, yeah, so that was pretty pretty straightforward. In the tasting room too, when we were just busy. Um, people were just listening. We weren't doing as much seeded tastings at the time. You know, a lot of it was just standing at, at the bar. Uh, so it was a lot of juggling, didn't leave a lot of time for conversations, which I think the industry has learned a lot since is really important, and, you know? Um, that's definitely one takeaway. And I think maybe even just kind of post COVID too, just, you know, based on kind of where we're at right now, it's worth mentioning like that's, I'm you know, when I talk to my peers in this industry, it's one of the biggest takeaways is you know, being that open door policy of just come one, come all, we'll, you know, we'll make it work. Uh, it's not always the most efficient use of, you know, of time. It doesn't always create the best experience, you know, and, and not to say you have to put someone in a chair to make them enjoy what you do, but it allows you to staff things differently. It allows you to pace the experience differently and it allows you to really like personalize, you know. Um, you can't give everybody a tour, you know, but um, in a lot of ways, you know, less is more. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah I feel like the Oregon consumer in general has been pretty consistent in my experience in that they're engaged people you know I forget living out here you know it's I know it's getting a lot of attention more and more every year but we're not a huge region Um, I, I rarely meet or have met people who say oh this is the first wine region I've ever visited you know what I mean usually they've checked off a couple other boxes before they've come up here Um, and maybe hopefully that's happening more Mm -hmm. you know people are like you know Oregon seems like it's more my speed I'd rather go there before parts of California or or Europe Um, but there's an open-mindedness I think which is just for someone like myself I just like being able to have like a nice like a natural conversation with someone Mm -hmm. Um, and to kind of share your perspective and also knowing that there's no right or wrong way to make wine it's just different approaches and styles and Mm -hmm. knowing you know we've probably everything I don't pour for a person they're going to love, but hopefully, you know, they like more than they don't. Mm-hmm. And um, it's my job to just kind of walk them through it and help them understand maybe why it is, you know, things taste or, you know, don't taste the way they were expecting. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, interesting, interesting, something you said interesting earlier was about being one of the, mo- one of the variables in people's experiences. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you mean by that in terms of what do you try to bring, and what uh, what do you try to stay out of the way of?
2: Yeah, um, you know, here, because this is kind of where I've been the longest most recently, um, like when we hire for people, it's it's about being part of that experience, like you're saying, I think um, I feel very fortunate in most of the places I've worked, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful location, right? So it's like, what are the boxes you can check? You've got the location, you know, check, beautiful view. You're you're near a vineyard. Um, you're already you're already you know you know ahead in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, quality of wine. I mean, this is an area that's there's just a, it's surprising when you find wine you don't like. Um, you know, I I love what we do here at Alazana. I'll I'll say it forever. Um, but I do know we're not the only place that makes you know amazing wines. And I also know people aren't going to just visit here too. Right, they're most likely going to taste at least in a day three or four places. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for us, it's like, all right, we've got great wine, we've got a great facility. Um, now we just need to tie the two together and just kind of be um, the guide of that experience and let them dictate it. We never tell people, or I've never told people, like they need to make the conversation about wine all the time. Um, it's really important that you know everything about the product, uh, so if people want to go further into it, you, can, you, don't, you don't have to stop to ask for questions. Um, but it's less about you know, forcing an education on people. Mm-hmm. It's about letting them kind of like let their guard down a little bit. Um, and having a conversation almost about them is one of the most useful tools I think you could do is um, you know, you kind of taking the conversation between something personal, a little bit back to wine, and then something personal back to wine. And clearly our job is to sell wine, but I do think if you do that first part right, the wine, the wine sells itself. Again, when you're selling you know, the quality of wine that we have, that most of the wineries in this region have, um, that's, that's kind of the secret sauce. And not everybody can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, That's the other part. I mean, kind of going back to your question about you know, who do you hire for or look for, it's like not everybody has that hospitality bone. I mean, it just is what it is. And I, and I don't know. Maybe there's someone out there that will say, you can totally train it. It's, I don't know if you I don't, I don't. I'm not convinced. <laughs> I'm not convinced that you can. Um, I keep our interviews really loose because um, I don't want pe- to ask them a bunch of random questions that make them uncomfortable. Like, I kind of want to see what people are like when they're comfortable and, and get a sense for how excited they are to talk about something. You know, if you're excited about something, you're going to make the person you're, ex- you're talking to excited about it. Um, so I've been really fortunate just to work with really great people who are positive. You know, we care. We share that same interest in wine. Um, we're always excited to taste the new vintages. Um, really trying to have a bridge between production and sales is really important. Been really fortunate. Um, you know, our winemaker Brian is an open door. Um, not so much with COVID, I should say, but pre-COVID, you know, like uh, he'd come into the tasting room a lot and you know taste wine next to a customer. I think just fostering that relationship of just it's comfortable. It should be fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, we're my wife is a school teacher. We're not changing anybody's lives here, <laughs> you know? I'm reminded of that, you know, daily. Mm-hmm. So, if uh, I would be really disappointed if if uh, I got too stressed to, into it, at least for a moment in the day, to enjoy and kind of reflect on the, the, the surroundings around us. It's just too, it's a luxury, really.
1: So, after Farm to Fork, what, what came next for you?
2: Yeah, so I think after um, a year or a year and a half at at Farm to Fork, I, I realized I really missed working at a winery. I, you know it, it seems so obvious to me when I when it kind of clicked in my head. I was just like, I came out here, what I fell in love with was being part of that team, you know, um, being part of that, being able to work at that place, you know, just the, everything from the commute to the relationships you make with your coworkers um, to like, you know, holding the flag of like a brand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized I really missed, and the opportunity came to work at Cullen Clemens. So they had just, worked, they had built their winery, they had planted a few years prior, they, they had their first vintage in bottle and they hadn't sold um, any of it yet. Oh. And um, I remember even Googling it, you couldn't find anything about it. So there was no website, there was nothing. So I was able to um, jump on and lead that, the whole, that, you know basically launched, helping launch the brand. There wasn't a lot of wine at the time, so the majority of the focus early on was just direct to consumer, it was like, tasting room, <laughs> we've got a beautiful space, like how are we gonna get people here? Um, there wasn't any POS, you know, like, so it was at first, you know, kind of going through almost that process I did at the restaurant where it's like, all right, we gotta get, you know, equipment in here, we gotta kind of walk through the customer journey, mm-hmm. you know, of how that looks like. And then network, you know. Um, fortunately, I had made a, a lot of great relationships in the Valley over the, the previous years. Um, you know, a lot of my friends did similar roles, so, mm-hmm. um, that support and that love that I've always felt kind of out here where we're all a team which was great so it made that transition very very easy um, but was excited to kind of like be a part of something new and um, you know the winemaker there is one of my favorite personalities I've ever met out here just an amazing human being um, great wines I mean and the wines were, were babies I mean the oh I think they were three-year-old vines you know making these so I, and I haven't had a chance to taste them as much as I as I would like, so I can only imagine. But um, you know, I knew I was part of something exciting that had a lot of potential. Um, so yeah, that was really a really great experience. It was like the restaurant it was a lot of work. Um, I was one of two employees. You know, when I got hired, it was Steve and myself. He had a vineyard crew too, um, but in the sales side of things. So you know, early on working the floor, you know, trying to get people in on the weekends. Once we got a sense of how much wine we had and how that was going to deplete, was able to also start getting up into Portland a little bit to sell wines. So that was, again, I kind of had that wholesale itch where I felt like there was still so much I, I needed to know and learn. Um, and I was able to kind of glean all those tasting experiences I had as a buyer at the restaurant and go, all right, well, what version of all those people am I, you know? And, and who are the ones that presented it the best? and. Uh, I was really able to kind of cherry pick through all those experiences and say, all right, well, if I'm going to go to someone and now I'm kind of cold calling uh, because no one has heard of us uh, at all. Um, You know, Steve was not a household name at the time, whereas he is definitely now. So um, that was the scary part, you know, the opening of the tasting room and getting that started was the part I was most comfortable with. Um, But I learned to really enjoy um, you know, the day out of the week that I would, you know, I'd get out the car, I'd fill the car with the back of, you know, the back of it with a bunch of wine, and and you know, knock on doors and start building those relationships. So that was, that was really great. I mean, I was there long enough to, you know, kind of get through those '08s, the 09s. We were just starting to release some tens, which were beautiful wines, and unfortunately, it didn't end up working out to be the long-term fit that I hoped it was. Um, I think at the time, I was really thinking, all right, I'm going to just my success. c I'll I'll grow with this opportunity. It's up to me, right? Um, it just didn't didn't have the same perspective long term with, with the owner there. So, um, Parted Ways at the time was really disappointed, but was the best thing that could have happened for me because it's ended up what allowed me to land here, which um, was very much actually kind of taking over where I had left off at Colleen Clemens, where Alexana was only, um, you know, the tasting room was built a year before um, the brand it had been out here but there was a little tasting room in Carleton and I think that was hard to operate out of it was hard to get much um, you know kind of build your consumer base when you're just operating out of a, a little room in, in and in a small town and um, so there's a lot of opportunity I felt like I was kind of given that second chance to kind of rise rise to the occasion and it's really fortunately turned out that way for me so similar to similar to Colin Clemens, you know, most of my time early on was on the floor, you know, just, it was like tasting room first. We we, we don't really have a a mailing list. Um, We gotta get customers here, you know? So, you know, networking, getting people in the door, um, building up the club, and, um, you know, as we grew, was able to, you know, bring on more staff, Mm -hmm. uh, which was kind of that exciting part is now I can actually grow with the company. So, less time on the floor, hiring a wine club manager, hiring a tasting room manager, Um, you know, now we, we've gotten to the point where we've got a really awesome core team of people and it's, maybe I didn't realize how excited I'd be about kind of that direction until I've kind of gotten into it now, but it scratches all the itches of the things I like about wine. I love every channel of, especially the, the direct-to-consumer side, I think it's really fun and entertaining and mm-hmm. it's challenging at times, right, because it's customer service and not everybody's nice. But, you know, when you have a team of people that you support, you know, it's more about building the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm at a point where I can work a bit more on the business instead of in you know, in it, mm-hmm. which has been really, really rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, really enjoy it. Tell me
1: about the as you were hired here, sort of the vision as you understood it for the place, and and what what the biggest changes have been here since you started.
2: Yeah, well, so I started in the fall of 2012, and the the winery was just finished, um, so we knew how big it was, and we knew how much wine we could make out of it, and I knew there was a lot of wine coming, uh, so I instantly knew there was a there was going to be a a a need for every person to contribute, you know, as much as possible. Um, I think at first we were making, I think we had five wines when I started. There was a couple whites, there was like a Riesling, a Pinot Gris, and maybe two or three Pinots. Um, So over the the following years, um, being able to kind of get more into product development and go, okay, like we've got this beautiful estate, um, you know, how do we help, you know, tell its story? was really exciting, uh, knowing, I mean, there's only so many bottles you can sell of one wine, but this estate could be broken up into so many interesting things. So we started to look at, you know, the soils on the different sides of the properties and create, mm-hmm. you know, complementary skews. Um, that's been, that's been really great. Um, works a lot with the club too, so kind of always thinking big picture on how things tie together was exciting. Um, and our owner has been really supportive and he's just a very open-minded guy. So, and he's not based in Oregon, so. There's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of flexibility to kind of, kind of make decisions that aren't, you know, as long as they're not expensive, <laughs> you know, typically there's a freedom, you know, to, to make decisions and make changes. And um, yeah, so I knew early on that we were gonna be making a lot of wines. There was opportunity to get creative, mm-hmm. which was exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also um, an opportunity to support national sales. Um, you know, my, my, my boss and my boss at the time, you know, he was juggling a lot of things, you know, between national sales and, you know, we're also, you know, for those of the listeners that don't know, we're also affiliated with two other wineries. So there's one in Napa and one in Argentina. So there's a lot happening with that as well. So I always thought it was really neat to share those wines, you know, for me and I, I'd have to go back and think about it a little bit more, but I don't remember, you know, very many brands, at least out here, that were A, you know, affiliated with other wineries mm-hmm. um, that were like privately owned. You know, it wasn't like we're part of like a big, um, you know, a big global company of you know brands across the world. It was more, you know, this is a, 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 a one man who's literally created these things on his own. Let's show them. So I was a big advocate early on to go, let's bring some of the wines from. Napa. I mean they're expensive Cabernet, not it's not for everybody. Um, but the but Argentina too, as soon as those wines started to get imported, it was like, let's create an experience where we really we use those wines to validate kind of who we are as well. And that's been really that's been really fun and probably one of the best decisions we ever made. Um, instead of just being like, No, we're Oregon and that's all people want to taste. I mean, um, you know, anyone will tell you in the tasting, not everybody drinks Pinot that comes to wine country, you know? It's always surprising when they're like, oh yeah. We've gotten really good lately of really having those early conversations with guests. And it's always surprising when you, you get in them and someone's like, I just really don't like Pinot. <laughs> well, lucky for you, um, we have other things. Um, whereas other wineries are not so, you know, like do you know where you're going, you know? I hope you like white wine too. Um, you know, like it's just, so to be able to break out some Malbec um, and also talk, you know, articulately about mm-hmm. those regions, mm-hmm. you can still tie it into that same experience where like people are getting a little bit of an education. Um, you know, everyone can kind of dive into that on their own, mm-hmm. but to share things and um, you know having imagery of these beautiful places never hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all good. It's just it's just good wine, you know.
1: So you're the you're the general manager here now. So tell me tell me mm-hmm. what that role entails for you. What does your kind of typical day, week,
2: month, year look like? Sure. Um, you know I've held on to some of the so my titles have changed a little bit over the years, and titles can sometimes be you know they're different at different places. Um, so. You know, prior to this, my, you know, my, my, my core responsibility was always just the success of just our direct-to-consumer channels, mm-hmm. although I've, I've supported national sales a bit. Um, I've kind of just always gravitated back towards, you know, what we do kind of on site. Um, so I, I'm still 100% responsible for kind of the success of that, that side of the business, which um, again, I, I love and I enjoy. The part, the other parts that came with um, kind of the change in titles, being kind of the the person who has to if there's decisions that aren't being made you know quickly and easily and someone needs to, to do it um, I I've become that default person which is exciting and it's also challenging mm-hmm. um, so there's like a, almost an HR component to it um, that I'm still learning mm-hmm. you know it's I'm I'm starting to think it's probably a comp it's a life a life lesson of you know um, delegation and mediation and um, you know, I I want people to be to be happy, and I would like to think you know everyone gets along perfectly every day. Um, but there's a lot going on, you know, and we're not necessarily a huge winery by any means. But you know, there's a lot of things happening. Mm-hmm. So you know, just being on site, that on site person who's supporting all of those different channels mm-hmm. has kind of been my thing. So throughout the week, I'm I usually have just meetings each week with each of the members just to. Just to stay in touch mm-hmm. and to give them whatever whatever support they need. Um, you know, I also handle things like administrative stuff, like payroll and um, stuff like that, hiring, um, you know, reviews. Um, I also really enjoy the metric side of the business. That's mm-hmm. one of the things I've I, I I just it's almost like maybe it's not therapeutic, but it, the process in it I really enjoy it. I'm so I'm very visual, so you know, being able to see the numbers on a regular basis. Um, you know, weekly and then tying it into monthly. Like, I feel like it's always helped me have a very good grasp of kind of where mm-hmm. we're going. So I, that eats up a lot of time, just kind of with all the different channels we have, kind of keeping track of all that stuff has been great. And then, um, you know, most recently, and kind of around the same time I was kind of promoted to this was when we started the design of this building, which was has been an awesome, you know, going back to just trying to create an education in the wine industry, I just, you know, there's like, what else can you experience in now to be able to be a part of a, a process of like, well, good problem, we've outgrown our space. Um, We can maintain or, you know, to be able to go to your owner and go, listen, like we're, this is a good problem to have. Like we've maximized what you built for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is kind of what we can do because there's definitely a critical mass when we were, more wasn't more, you know, like on a busy Saturday in particular, you know, it was like, we are seeing more people but our sales aren't really reflecting it. You know, it was kind of like, if we really want to, not scale this thing, but like at least keep moving forward. Um, we need more room in kind of going back to the importance of being able to dedicate time with people. Um, we really needed the opportunity and the resources to just have the space to have like a conversation where you're not just it's just so busy. So that was kind of the the brainchild behind this, and really uh, what's really still because we're finishing the landscaping, it's not over yet. So there's some operational aspects of you know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was on the phone with the internet company today because I'm like, it's not working. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? I'm like, I swear, I saw the guy, he was holding it. Like, I, I feel like I've lost my time perspective a little bit with COVID. Like, I'm like, I don't really know what happened the last 12 months, but like this one, I can, I literally can picture in my head. I might be crazy, and I got tossed around to a couple people. And I finally got this guy on the phone. He's like, "Oh yeah, I remember that. It looks like he forgot to put it in." And I'm like, "All right." I'm like, "I'm not losing my mind," you know. Um, so there's a little bit of a little a little bit of that, which is which is great. It's fun. There's no really day. There's r- no two days really alike, mm-hmm. um, and it'll be fun. Now we're trying to gear up for you know, summer, Mm -hmm. um, and as you know, you know, risk levels with COVID are, you know, fluctuating and it's, you know, that's just been a a whole new, you know, challenge in itself of just managing the the unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But it does feel like there's some light at the end of the tunnel, which which has been nice. So we need to get some staff and see what this space is capable of, which will be really exciting.
1: So let's talk about the space a little bit. Uh, you gave us kind of a tour on our way in and kind of described it a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious why the layout and the design like, like it is and, and what are some of, sort of your plans and visions for this space? Yeah, so
2: I mean, we looked at what we had and said what, you know, effectively, like what are we, what are we missing, like what, what is it that we need? We didn't need to build another bar. Um, we needed to, one of the things we knew, we were getting asked more and more, because it was interesting. So when I started, I mean, that room we had Was plenty of space. I even think we did a wine club pickup event in there. Um, And then over time, you know, you start to realize that you know it's not enough, and we'd start over the last few years. Have people be like, "I really want a private tasting. Like, I really just want to focus in on what you're doing and one-on-one." And we could never guarantee it. Mm -hmm. There would be certain times a year where, depending on what was going on, we could utilize other spaces, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't something we really felt comfortable just reserving ahead of time. So it really just didn't set us up um, for success in it. And you know. Anyone in this profession knows, like, those—that's your bread and butter. I mean, someone's that engaged; they want to taste with you privately and really, like, understand your wines. Like, you don't want to turn that away. So, we knew we needed a space that allowed us to host truly a private tasting. Um, We were also getting a lot of interest in corporate off-site meetings, um, and that was also kind of problematic for us because we would have to theoretically close Mm -hmm. to do those. Mm -hmm. So. It would have to be again the most perfect day and time to warrant you know shutting down your tasting room because we we're open seven days a week. Um, so we we started to think about what would a space look like where it was just a more square footage, mm-hmm. b gave us the option to you know host private tastings but not compartmentalize it in a way that that's all you could do. So we worked with a designer and we came up with uh, an idea. I'm not sure if you can see one of the glass walls behind me, but um, we have these beautiful glass partitions. That are that that we can fold in, we can fold out. Um, we can have one big room. We could have four smaller rooms, like we're in one of the f- small four smaller rooms right now. Um, it also allowed us to create a little bit more of a lobby. You know, we'd have people, you know, walk in on a Saturday. I was telling you this earlier. Like, we'd be packed, you know, on a Saturday, and someone's first impression was us, like, you know, behind the bar, being we like, hey, you know, like, <laughs> we'll get to you in a minute. You know, like you clearly, you know, in retail, you want to acknowledge. The, you're here, but it's like, I don't know how long it's gonna to take to get to you, but like, we're gonna work on it. It was a horrible first experience. I mean, it, People were always really great. Again, I really do think the, the consumers who were coming out here are very open minded and um, people, it's just ideally not really what you do. So we have a new kind of reception area with a new entrance and um, one of the things we always wanted to do, but we really never... We never had the balls to do it. Was to just go appointment only, you know. For so many years, again, that space is all we had. It was like, come one, come all. Like we just need people, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's like, well, when do you stop? Um, That's how we got to where we are. Um, You know, with COVID, we were shut down, Um, and then you know, with the different occupancy levels, we were really forced to manage things differently by reservation. And there's no doubt in my mind this is all we're going to do. It's it's going to be the the perfect opportunity for us to kind of reset. Um, and optimize, you know, the use of our time. Mm -hmm. And um, having that lobby as like that welcome station where we have someone there um, who knows they're coming by name, time, Mm -hmm. you know, our staff schedule is laid out, you know who you're hosting the multiple times. I mean, there's so many elements about it when you say it out loud, you're like, yeah, obviously you'd wanna do that. But not every, you know, you're not always, we weren't there, Mm -hmm. you know, early on. Mm -hmm. We were there probably a couple years ago, but we weren't quite ready to do it, and now we have the space, we have the people, and um, I'm excited that we're we now have a couple months, almost two months of actually like doing it, and it's everything that the numbers tell you. You know, if you read any of the wine studies, it's like it's there. It makes sense. It's just how do you do it effectively without upsetting? You know, that was my biggest fear in the past was like, who are we going to upset? Mm-hmm. You know, because some of our customers, we have great customers. They just they they're loose,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, they kind of just want to do their thing and um, it, you don't want to tell them no. But I think with all of the wineries being forced to do the same thing, mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm optimistic that that'll make this change really easy for them and that we're definitely not the only winery I know of that's going to try to hold on to this thing probably for as long as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it just makes sense.
1: You talked earlier about the kind of the unique the unique aspect of the company with with Ravana and with Corazon del Sol. Uh, tell me about if anything what what your kind of what your interaction with your relationship is with the other two wineries in 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 the portfolio and and as you look forward if that's going
2: to change at all. Yeah, um I have a great relationship with our our team, you know, over the years. So I've been here for it'll, it's almost nine years. You know, there's been some turnover, right? So so people have kind of changed a little bit, um, but the current teams in both places um, are awesome. You know, we. It's interesting because I think when Alexana started, you know, we were the second winery, and the the winery Napa Rivana was really kind of how the infrastructure of the company was staged from because there was only one winery. You know, for almost basically 10 years. You know, everything was based out of a winery operating in California. So for fulfillment, um, you know, for pickups, for distribution and um, over time, it feels as though, not that there's a headquarters, but we do have a bigger team in Oregon. We're the biggest of the three. So we do support those brands quite a bit. Um, for instance, you know, our wine club manager here in Oregon is also the wine club manager for CDS. Mm-hmm. Um, their team's not big enough to really deal with the administrative side of, of managing all that. Um, similar with shipping, um, our shipping manager also supports them. Ravana is still very much um, s- s- self-sufficient. I mean, they kind of do their thing, which is great. Um, but I do, I'm in constant communication with, with their team. There's a general manager down there who we, we talk pretty regularly. And um, yeah, I think it's just it, it's just nice that we all we appreciate what we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all been around now long enough where we've got a sense of like what the personalities of each property are, because that in itself is really different. You know, in Argentina, um, it's, it is rural. I mean, um, outside, of, it's like an hour, I want to say an hour and a half drive, you know, south of Mendoza. I mean, it, is in the, it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. Um, very different experience. Um, you know, there isn't tour. I mean, there's, there are people just renting cars just driving themselves through this place would be dangerous. Uh, so most of your visitation are like tour companies, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas here, we, we, we have a good relationship with tour companies, but we don't rely on tour companies to, to bring us business. It's, it's like the complete opposite. It's there's rarely anybody just like, oh, I'm just in my rental car from Mendoza, and I took this dangerous drive out to your winery to go wine tasting, and now I'm gonna, you know, with a buzz, go drive back. Like, it's not like that. So it's been fun to kind of learn. That mm-hmm. difference mm-hmm. Um, And there have been you know elements of what we've gotten used to implementing in the United States that really don't translate exactly down there. you know wine, there's not really wine clubs down there. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have um, you know, a lot of people from the United States who visit who will then join the club, so their club is basically people from the United States <laughs> who've gone down to Argentina, and then we are kind of their point people because with the time change in the different hemisphere it's just. We help support that. Um, I don't see that that changing. It's kind of a nice give and take, and I think our team really enjoys that connection down there. And again, the wines stylistically are different. It's fun to just be able to have them here and to taste them, and um, you know, have that experience. And I think with our relationship with Napa, it will always kind of maintain the same. They um, they're highly allocated. Uh, their tastings were always by reservation. I used to be always super envious of that. You know, now now we're there. Um, but yeah, it's just um, very protected, mm-hmm. you know, and it's for good reason, There's, there, you can't do really more. It's a tiny little property, they make a, a little bit of wine, it's always been theoretically the same amount of wine, you know, vintages, give or take, um, and they've been doing it for 20 years and it kinda goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. that's really neat uh, for them and they just do such a great job at dialing in their experience based around that and um, we're here feeling like we're still room to grow um, we again try to shine light on all the properties because personally I just think it's it 's awesome and i again, I think it validates kind of our owner as you know it 's just not some little side hobby i mean he he 's committed you know to doing great things and even in distribution we're we 're a portfolio you know when we go into a market we our reps have three brands mm-hmm. um, and they all complement each other really, really well, which I think is really fun for them so you know when we get to do wine dinners um, I think we 're pretty interesting for for a chef you know it's not like how many courses can you do with pinot you know and they're like i don't know two you know and you're like well we've got you know malbec and we've got cab and we've got pinot and riesling and pinot Gris and chardonnay um -hmm. they're doing all sorts of cool stuff down in in argentina now too, experimenting with different varietals so um it just feels exciting Mm -hmm. i think there's our our owner really likes to experiment i think it's his his um his background in medicine, sure, you know, sure. it's, like, it's a practice. You know what I mean? You're, you never know it all, so you got to keep, you know, keep refining, keep getting better, keep trying new things. Um, you know, some of our best lessons are mistakes. You know, and then you go, all right, cool. I'm glad we tried that. Let's try something different. Let's try something different this <laughs> that, You know, and I appreciate being part of that, or else you know, it's this, you're not learning. Mm-hmm. So that's been really, really rewarding. Mm-hmm.
1: You talked about the, the room to grow here and obviously this, this new space is part of that. What else What else do you, are you looking forward to or looking ahead to at the future here at Alexander?
2: Yeah, I think it's so hard to think um, with the, not to talk about COVID again, but it's, it's hmm. hard sometimes to think too far. Um, so I try to think back on like, all right, what was I thinking before <laughs> before that? Um, the The exciting part is, we have enough room, we have a small team, so we're not going to be just filling this thing to the gills, even if we could. Um, so I think slowly building a team based around the demand is gonna be really exciting. Um, you know, One of the things I've learned is with the whole old way of doing it where it was come one, come all. You know, The weekends are clearly the busiest days, so we'd have a lot of staff that were part-time on the weekends, because that's when everyone wanted to come, and it was like, we need more people. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we're limiting things, I think we can create legitimate positions that are more permanent, mm-hmm. that cover five days a week because we're really honing in on what we do. And I'm excited about that because I think, you know, it's hard when you have good people and all you can offer them is a couple days a week. You know, most people are trying, trying to make a career. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to create an even bigger permanent you know, full-time team mm-hmm. um, and on paper, it'll you know it's going to totally pencil out, which is which is which is really exciting. Um, beyond that, I think we're just kind of refining what we're doing. Uh, we recently planted um, a new vineyard, just adjacent to where we are. They almost they're almost contiguous. Um, those vines, their first set of fruit will be next year. So we're kind of thinking about: is it a new brand? Is it something we we? carry under the Alexander umbrella, which is, we're just in the early stages of that practice and it's, it's fun and exciting and I'm, you know, again, like, like so many things, it, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just at one point we're just going to have to decide. So I'm excited to see that mm-hmm. and then how that um, complements or is integrated in what we're, we're doing here. Mm-hmm. So I think those are kind of like the main, the main pieces, these two new investments. How do they work together and uh, how do they, they set us up? Mm-hmm. Well, we've already talked
1: about COVID a little bit, but we're gonna talk about COVID mm-hmm. again. All so right. 2020, obviously a difficult year in a number of ways. Um, we'll start, start with the pandemic and, and sort of the effects on your work. Uh, what, what was sort of the initial reaction and, and, and how did the year play out? And and what, uh, besides the sort of the, the, the kind of the changes to your, to your tasting room policy, what else do you see kind of coming as you coming out of COVID?
2: Yeah. Um, man, this time last year was, it was a pretty heavy time, you know. Um, I think I haven't had a chance to really, because obviously the dust hasn't fully settled from all this, to really map it out in a way of, you know, time frames of like this was this stage and then we got to this stage. Um, I mean, a lot of it still feels like a blur. I mean, early on it was really stressful, um, you know, not knowing about a lot of stuff. So. I think the, the the first part was all right. We've got this team of people, right? And the daily responsibilities for a few of them of just the rug just literally got pulled out from under us. You know, especially with people related to working in the tasting room. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not allowed. People are not coming here. Um, and I think it was one of those moments where I realized. I think I always knew that when you hire someone, you know, their livelihood is like in your hands. But it never felt so real Mm -hmm. Um, and you didn't want to let anybody down you know so I think I think we did really well just like trying to have open conversations about like all right we're probably all getting our news from different places (laughs) so maybe we could just come to an agreement on certain aspects of what's going on and go how do we feel safe Mm a I mean that was the most important thing is like the safety of our people we had you know we we had people working from home pretty quickly um, just because they could Um, And then there were team members who we kept on site because their jobs were more on site jobs. And we thought how, and and now it's, now that we figured out how to to operate safely, we need to figure out what operating is even like, Mm -hmm. or what we can and can't do. Um, You know, with the tasting room being such a big part of our sales, I was really interested, I try to always be optimistic, so I was was hopeful that we would make up for that. Yeah, I didn't know how. Um, We'd always dabbled in phone sales. It was never a big component of what we do. Our team's really not big enough, never felt big enough to warrant taking their time Mm -hmm. off of doing certain things to dedicate towards that. Um, And I don't know if that was necessarily a bad decision or not, but we now had that time. Um, So it allowed us to kind of go back and try things that we either dabbled in a little bit or knew that we could have and just never had the time. So that was a helpful practice. Um, And fortunately, you know, as we put more resources into the e-commerce side of things and the sales started to come through, um, that in a way really started to relieve a lot of stress. It was like, okay, cool, it's the response of our customer base is really being supportive right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I always try to read, you know, wine news and, and it, clearly we weren't, this was, you know, across the whole wine industry is, um, and we were great because our our mailing list it was 100% organic, I mean, we never bought lists of people or anything like that. So we had a, even though it's probably not in the grand scheme of things, a lot of people, um, the biggest question was like, how often can we go back to the well? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. how how much are they going to buy? You know, so early on, it's like, okay, this is good, but are they going to buy more? Or, um, and we just really had to go through that practice of segmenting the list and understanding people's needs. Things, again, make a lot of sense, but did you ever take the time to really do it? Mm-hmm. And it, and it it more than covered what we didn't make in the tasting room. So we actually came out, if you had told me this time last year that we would have actually done better in DTC, I would have never, I would have thought you were crazy. Mm -hmm. I I just wouldn't have thought it was possible. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge, huge relief and I think it took a lot of pressure off all of us to go listen, even if those of you who are normally busy hosting tastings all day aren't, you have a little downtime, which, gives anybody anxiety, right? Cause you're like, I feel like I should be contributing more. It's like, don't worry about it. Like to be, we're making up for it. We're going to keep figuring out ways to keep you busy. Um, and, we're, and, it's, and it's working, like it's working. That was, that was very helpful. And mm-hmm. I can't remember at what point of the year where it felt like that, where it's like, oh my God. And then in the summer, you know, we were able to start hosting groups again outside, which was great. So we were able to keep busy again, but it was more of that learning curve of how do we do it safely, mm-hmm. um, which was, There were all these little stresses, you know, kind of mixed into all the different, you know, processes that we went through. But, you know, fortunately, I think we are at a point, especially because our whole team's vaccinated now, and um, there's, we're, we're looser, you know. I think we're able to act a little bit more like we used to, where clearly there's still something serious happening and we're not through it yet, but in our world, We've gotten used to w- those cleaning practices and how we open and close, where we don't feel like we're at, we're like being detrimental to each other. You know, we're being very safe. Um, so that's been really good. Um, yeah, I had mentioned you know we went reservation only, which we'll keep doing, um, which is great. Um, I think communication has always been one of the hardest parts with running a company. You know, it's even when. Before COVID, we have one big open office downstairs and it's a crazy place to work in when you've got like eight people in there. Probably not how that space was intended to be used. Um, Now we've got some people working from home. The space isn't quite as busy as it once was. Um, And even then communication was hard, even when we were all together, you know? And then, you know, to split. um, We fortunately had started using like that that Microsoft Teams Mm -hmm. application like right before COVID just coincidentally, just thought it was like, let's try this thing out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a little practice and we've been relying on, you know, Zoom and Teams for our weekly meetings. And I think that it just, it you know, COVID really exacerbated some of those just normal business issues you have of like, even when you're all in the same room talking, not everybody is on the same page. So it I've really been trying my best and it's hard because it's, you're always kind of behind, you can never get ahead of it, mm-hmm. uh, of just making sure if people who are, should be in a conversation aren't, they're looped in ASAP and because um, it, it does seem like when we're all on the same page and we're all firing in all cylinders, like that's when we're the most successful, not when we're all operating in our own individual you know, zones and you know, yes, we, we all do well and that's fine, but we're at our best when we can pick up the phone or just have a loose conversation. So I think just fostering that post-COVID will always just be the thing. I'm, I think there will be a couple positions that do work remotely probably that we had never really considered before Mm -hmm. Um, maybe a hybrid we still have to kind of figure that out Um, yeah but between just you know these little reminders of how important it is to feel appreciated um, supported um, that your job's not going anywhere um, you know just that that communication and dialing in our experience I think there is definitely going to be some silver lining in all of this Um, so I feel more positive the negatives, if that answers mm-hmm. your question. Yeah, mm-hmm. There's a lot, right? And I'd be really curious, like once this, I don't know, as we normalize more, um, what other little things we'll have learned mm-hmm. along along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it always goes back, kind of in my world, back to hospitality and I think we're trying to just dial in a high touch experience and it's not like we need to use a fancier glass or a fancier or anything it's more make touching just communicating with customers earlier um, learning about them ahead of time mm-hmm. making notes so when our crew comes in they know almost everything about the person coming in they're welcomed they're seated at a beautiful table they feel like they're literally getting your attention you're they're not one of you know multiple groups mm-hmm. you're hosting mm-hmm. um, and then you know just that Process of then what do you do when they leave and you know thanking them and um, there's so many great wineries out here I think that's probably the big thing is how do we separate ourselves in ways we can control and it's it's just making sure people feel like you care mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, so that's the constant reminder here I think
1: mm-hmm. so and in, in beyond COVID as you look ahead for sort of the industry in Oregon. Um, what, what do you see coming for the organization? What
2: is it going to look like uh, in, the, in the coming years? Man, it's a good question. I was trying to think of all the questions you were going to ask me. I didn't think about that one. Um, you know, I think, you know, I mentioned this before. I'm not as much in the wholesale side. There are clearly some big changes happening on that side of business that I can't, you know, talk about as, as well as, you know, some of my colleagues could. Um, but just with consolidation and, and things of that matter, I, I do think it's becoming more and more challenging, right? It's amazing how many brands in general are just popping up every year and vineyards are being planted. I mean, there's a point where um, it's gonna be too much mm-hmm. um, for, I think we started at a good time. I think if we continue to, to stay brand focused and true to who we are, we'll we'll always be recognized for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we might also get more pressure, you know, in DTC to to pick up the slack for what's becoming harder and harder to do um, in distribution. So that'll be really interesting to see. I'm curious to see some of the bigger purchases that have come in. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot to learn for you know the decisions bigger companies make when they come into mm-hmm. Oregon. I kind of want to just kind of watch and see, like, okay, they came here for a reason, right? They just spent a lot of money to basically get a brand. Um, Clearly, they believe in the area, um, and it somehow fits in how they do business. How are they going about it? Like, what what are they going to do? Like, um, just kind of watch your peers, right? And and kind of Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. see. I don't. I'm not. I try not to be a copycat person by any means, but I am really curious to about that question because I don't really. I don't really know. I mean, outside of what we can control, I think I think we've kind of capped in regards to like the acreage we have, right? how much wine that's going to equate to. And I think we've got a really good plan on how to use it. Um, but for those brands that are really trying to scale, um, you know, when you start thinking about different um, packaging, right? We never got into cans mm-hmm. here, so I don't have enough experience about you know experimenting with different you know, packaging to kind of create different channels and things like that or, or what, but I do know it's expensive to make wine here. Um, the price of entry is higher than most regions, and it's a very small demographic of people, you know, overall that can afford to really take part in what we do. Um, so as long as there are people who can make enough money to afford what we do and they're engaged in our stories, I think we'll do all right. Um, and as long as we're not trying to get too greedy, I think I feel I feel comfortable about what I can control here, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see how scalable, mm-hmm. you know, especially Willamette Valley, right? I mean, I know people are bringing fruit in from different parts of Oregon, and it changes um, the way things pencil out. But um, as a Willamette Valley focused wine, um, we're at our best when I think we focus on quality, mm-hmm. and um, I'm curious to see how much more room there is to you know, grow that. Um, I'd like to think that there's still many more years ahead of us. Um, like I said, when I moved out here, it felt like there's still so much opportunity. And I'm seeing more people move out here, you know, from different places. We've, we get more applications from people who are in the industry, you know, restaurant, usually different parts of the country are like, I'm finally gonna do it. Like I've been wanting to move to a wine region. Oregon's always been my favorite. Do you have work, you know? Um, I think that's a good sign. Um, and so there'll be people interested you know, hopefully they'll live in wine country more than Portland. You know, it seemed like in the early years it was trying to recruit people from Portland. It's like, that's kind of a long commute, you know? I know people do it in the wine industry, but you know, if you're more of an entry level job, like I don't know, I'm not so sure paying that rent up there and trying to do that is how sustainable that is. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, hopefully our region will grow. You know, maybe it, there'll be more wine people, you know, moving into wine country and it'll really start to become kind of like those wine regions in, in different parts of the world where it's a, it's really more wine community focused. Mm-hmm. Um, would be exciting. I'm excited to see how some of these smaller towns develop. You know, thinking of real estate and you look at other areas and how they've grown. And you know, I feel like when I moved out, everyone was like, oh, "Napa was in the '80s," you know, and you're like, "All right, well, this is, and we're like 15 years later. Like, so now we're in Napa in the '90s." Like, I don't know. Is it like how's that how's that panning out? Are we are we really there? And There's just so many cool personalities out here still that are that to still be developed. It's Mm -hmm. really exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I don't know the answer to your question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the answer to your question, but I'm excited to find out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about for
1: yourself as you look ahead? Uh, What 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 are you looking forward to in the future? Uh, How do you sort of see your role in the future and and, uh, any other kind of special projects or things you're looking forward to?
2: Sure. I started a family not too long ago, so I've got two two little ones. Um, thank you. Yeah, I have a six- or four-year-old. Um, I really there's a lot going on. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know what i Yeah. So I'm the balance um, of work and professionally and personally is is a constant process. Uh, so that in itself has been. You know, a lot of energy goes towards that. I really feel fortunate that I've been here as long as I have and I've been able to carve out the type of role I have that's supportive to the situation I'm, I'm in. You know, personally, I don't know how many opportunities there are like that in the valley. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm under the impression that there aren't very many and I, and I should feel very lucky. So I, in the short term, I don't know how long short term is, I feel good, you know, like I, um, I was able to make wine for a little bit, you know, early on, and there's still a part of me that's knowing life should be long. Maybe there's there's something in my future of trying to dabble in that a little bit more, but um, elements of travel, I think, as my kids get older, you know, when they're not interested to hang around me as much. <laughs> I don't know when that'll be, but I'm told that's going to happen eventually. <laughs> um, you know, maybe I can support more, you know, nationally. We do quite a bit with wine auctions around the country, and I've just been... There's a few team members that do such a great job, and they really enjoy it. That I've never gone out of my way to, to kind of force myself into that world, but I really do like that in, that engagement, and it's a great customer acquisition piece to the business, mm-hmm. and it, you know the the giving back part. In addition to that, it's just it just makes a lot of sense if you can do it. Mm-hmm. So I could see myself trying to do a little bit more of that in the future as I feel like I have more more you know time to be to be away, but. Um, Yeah, I think right now I feel I've been with COVID too. It really makes you look, you know, look at what you've got going on. I just feel, I feel lucky, Mm -hmm. you know. I feel good. Um, There's a lot more to go on. I'm like I said. I'm excited to see the growth and just things that change out here. Um, I love being in the Dundee Hills. You know, this is literally where I cut my teeth. I this is what I I knew, you know. So um, it's like I'm back, you know, in that neighborhood. Um, nothing against the other ABAs, it's just it's kind of like where I was kind of was like born into Oregon wine country. So I wonder how how far away I'll get mm-hmm. I'll get from these hills. So I'm trying to volunteer a little bit more. I'm on the board for the Dundee Hills Winery Association mm-hmm. which has been great. So I'm trying to with the little time I have kind of you know give back a, a little bit but um yeah mm-hmm. just managing um, work and life and a uh, pandemic <laughs> and a new, you know, new space has been exciting and um, a little stressful. The, the third child here. Yeah, feels yeah, it feels a little bit like it. Not, yeah, it's funny too because I hadn't been really part of a, a big construction um, project before and it's like that old adage, you know, it always takes, you know, four to six months longer and I'm like, well, probably, I don't know, you know, and it's like, yeah, I get to, you know, a year, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Um, but we're also good about adding things onto things as well. So I'm not so sure if this is necessarily what it started as mm-hmm. as well. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see it get it get used and, you know, learn, a, I'd like to think we designed it perfectly, you know, but clearly if there, there'll be little things about it. We're like, oh, I should kind of miss that one. So they had, we haven't discovered some of those yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of, I know there's some troubleshooting mm-hmm. around the corner, which I'm I'm realistically expecting, I think, but it's good.
1: So, if you were giving someone advice or words of wisdom about getting into the wine industry, what would you what would you tell them?
0: Um,
2: I would tell them to um, talk to people. You know, I think that was one of the things I was really fortunate. You know, I didn't really get too into it, but some of those early um, Friendships I made with people who are in the industry, I mean it, there's no one way to do it, um, and I've rarely met you know people who've done it the same way, um, you know just where people come from and you know I really do think if you're excited about it there's no reason why you, you couldn't you couldn't do it mm-hmm. um, and it is helpful um, i've I had so much help early on i'm always I, always, I try to make myself accessible if anyone really know wanted (laughs) wanted to know of like just how it it worked out for me but you know um, so I can only really speak to the more maybe the sales side of living in in wine country but I do think you know committing to it and saying you know I'm gonna do this thing and um, meeting with people uh, it tends to never be the first people you met are the ones that kind of set you up you know which is always interesting it never seems to be like the obvious thing that you think would work out. It always ends up to be like the plan the B, C, or D that usually like comes up. So, you know, you be passionate about it, um, ask questions, meet people. Uh, it'll hopefully be a lot easier to start doing that again, post COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, a, that's definitely one thing I do. I, do I, I really appreciate about the industry and we haven't really been able to do, right? Is like just visit other tasting rooms and see your friends and, mm-hmm. you know, give them a hug, high five, whatever. Um, meet strangers, you know. Um, Zoom's fine. I mean, it's, thank God we have it, you know. But um, yeah, ask people who they know mm-hmm. in the industry who they think they should, they sh- they could talk to, and just keep planting seeds. Mm-hmm. You know, I think anything's possible out here. And yeah, and I think if you're if you just if you really do enjoy it and you really want to do it, there's no reason why why you couldn't. Um, so. All
1: right, So all the questions that
2: I have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have, anything we didn't cover here? I, no, I uh, swear I get to start asking you questions. <laughs> <laughs> we turn the camera off. Come yeah, right, all right. No, thank you, no, I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: Thank you, we appreciate you taking the time and, and showing off your awesome new space. Appreciate your answers, and uh, we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Cool, thanks. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.